Welcome to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Beth Burke and Chris Sands. I'm Beth Burke with the Canadian American Business Council, joined today by the one and only Chris Sands. Hi, Beth. How's it going today? It's it's always a sunny day on Canusa Street. <laughs> that it is. And it's really exciting to be here with you, my new co-host. Well, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. I know um, the incomparable and wonderful Scotty Greenwood is sorry to be missing us today, but I'm very excited to be jumping in and joining Canusa Street. Well, I think you'll do very, very well. Uh, Scotty uh, gave us the vision. We are just walking the street together now uh, and the path that she blazed. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm also really excited to announce our guest today. We have Minister Mary Ying, and I will let Chris do the formal introduction, but I just want to say as, you know, my first podcast guest, it is, I am beyond honored and thrilled to have you join us today. So thank you so much for taking the time. And Chris, do you want to do a formal introduction for us? Oh, absolutely. Um, we are so glad to have Mary Yang, who, the Honorable Mary Yang, who's Minister of Export Promotion, International Trade and Economic Development, and also the Member of Parliament for Markham Thornhill. Uh, her constituency. I know we're not supposed to say riding anymore, but I can never tell whether you, you th- use the one or the other. But she was uh, elected in 2017. She previously served as Minister of International Trade, Export Promotion, Small Business and Economic Development. That's a very long title. And then Minister of Small Business, Export Promotion and International Trade. Before all of that, she's a devoted community leader who always believed in the power of public service. She's got 20 years of experience in areas of education, women's leadership, job creation, entrepreneurship. So when you look for what ties all the many things that the Prime Minister has, has asked her to do. It, it's really drawing on that lived experience and bringing it forward into good public policy. Um, she also worked in Ontario Public Service, uh, Ryerson University, and the Ontario Ministry of Education, all leading her to be recognized by the Prime Minister as one of the top performing public sector leaders and a great recruit for Parliament and for the Government of Canada. Mary Ng, welcome. Well, Chris, it's terrific uh, to be with you. And uh, as I said, uh, you know, uh, with the smart folks at uh, the Wilson Center, which we always count on, um, you know, for uh, the good work that comes out of uh, that comes out of the Wilson Center. And Beth, it's great to be here with you. Welcome to, you know, welcome to your job. I'm excited. I'm going to be looking forward to uh, working with you in this uh, in this new role. The work um, that you do, that you will do, and Scotty before you is just so important because I see it as such an important and integral bridge uh, for uh, Canada and the U.S. So, um, so I'm thrilled to be here with you. Well, thank you so much. That's so kind. I really appreciate it. Minister, since you're you're here, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about something that we're all thinking about with Scotty uh, moving to Manual Life and, and, and becoming only a visitor with us in, in Canusa Street. Can you talk a little bit about um, about women in the private sector? And, you know, Scotty's, of course, an amazing example, but how women are faring in business in Canada and why they're so important for your inclusive trade agenda, which I know we've talked about before. Yeah, well, I'm so thrilled that uh, Scotty is taking on this uh, new role with a great Canadian company and a Canadian company that operates uh, around the world, including a very deep presence in the Indo-Pacific, where Canada is uh, charting, you know, ambitious new ground in growth diversification, trade diversification there. But having a women leader, especially one like Scotty, is really important because, um, you know, for one thing, 
uh, we are sort of 50% of the population, right? And um, <laughs> and in all of the work that I have done as a trade minister and certainly as the small business minister prior, it's really creating the conditions in Canada so that women, women entrepreneurs, exporters, women in technology, uh, women's leadership can really take on that role of contributing to our communities and uh, contributing through the economy. So when you have a women leader um, uh, take the helm of uh, the role that Scotty is taking on and the role, quite candidly, that Beth, you are occupying or the one that I occupy. I mean, I serve uh, the Canadian cabinet with half my colleagues as women and the other half uh, as men. But, uh, but if I were to sum it up, why is it so important? It's important because... Um, because it is about greater economic participation by women in our respective economies. And uh, while I have the important file of being an economic minister, so in trade and in business or in economic development, I don't do this work certainly around inclusive growth or enabling women to be successful in the economy on my own. I rely on my colleagues who have done things and who, you know, as a government have implemented important, what I would call economic social policies that really advance women um, participating even greater, competing even better in our economy. So what am I talking about? Early learning and $10 a day childcare in Canada. So when you are enabling a woman uh, and, uh, you know, to uh, provide affordable childcare for her family, her kids, She's participating and she's participating fully. And we are seeing that in the numbers, reflected in the numbers. I mean, we have over 85% of participation by Canadian women in the workforce. That's absolutely terrific. I meet women around, uh, women entrepreneurs in particular and leaders around the world who, uh, when I talk to them about what Canada has done um, around parental leave. So we have parental leave here. That's an 18-month parental leave where you as a mom can choose uh, to return to leading your company or leading your business, or to your work, um, and your partner decides to take some portion, um, a significant portion of that parental leave. Uh, so dad is at home, for example. So, um, you know, these are policies that are made very deliberately by our government, but it's made deliberately so that we can, so that they become partner economic policies for me as an economic minister to drive growth, to drive competitiveness, and to drive greater participation by women's by women leaders in our uh, in our economy and in our society. I noticed uh, in the last election, the your party was very committed to female candidates, and um, I think you had 147 out of out of your candidates there. You you brought in almost 60 into parliament, which is impressive. Other parties are making efforts as well. Can you talk a little bit about the challenge of being? Um, a member of parliament, a politician of all things, uh, and also being a woman, obviously representing a lot of different things, but juggling, multitasking so many things in life. How is it uh, to be a member of parliament and also uh, a woman juggling juggling all these responsibilities that you have? Well, maybe I'll answer that question with a bit of a story. And uh, it's a story that, uh, that I can share um, door knocking in my own writing, um, in my own constituency. And in fact, this was uh, this was when I was a candidate, and uh, it was my very first election. Um, and uh, and as a woman, it is true. Uh, this, at least for me, the statistics are true. 
which is that you feel apprehensive about doing the job because you don't know if you really are cut out to do the job. And, uh, and, and you question yourself about, uh, you know, can I, you know, can I really step up and do this? Um, I believe, you know, I believe in all, you know, I, I believe strongly in women's representation. But when, when it comes to you, you actually do question. And that was certainly my own experience. Um, so it is true, the statistics where you have to ask women a number of times before they take on that leadership role, whether it being a politician or any leadership role, I would say, but certainly as a politician. And uh, the story was that I was knocking on the door of, uh, of, of a house in, um, in, in my riding in Martin Thornhill. And, uh, and a gentleman came to the door and, uh, and my by-election, of course, was in the depth of winter. So it was a snowstorm outside on that day when I was knocking on the door. And, uh, and I said, absolutely, because, you know, you're, you're presenting your best face forward to, uh, to your uh, constituent, uh, your, your, your future constituent, you hope. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and he says, just hold on a second. And then he went into the house, came back to the door. He brought his daughters to the door. He brought his, um, his daughter and, uh, and he said, I want you to say hi to my daughter. Um, you know, her experience is very similar to ours as immigrants. I mean, I have a, you know, I have a constituency that is very diverse. So many of the people I represent are, uh, you know, were born elsewhere outside the country, uh, but they are wonderful Canadians that contribute so much to the fabric of Canadian society. But he brought her to the door because he said, look at her. She is, she's, she's here because she wants to get elected to represent us in this seat. And the reason he brought his daughter to see me was because he wanted, because there's that saying, which is you have to see her to be her. He wanted mm-hmm. his daughter to see that, um, that, that there is someone who is taking on public life, wishing to take on public life at the time, because this is now in 2017. Um, mm-hmm. And to be that example, to be that exit. So, so I carry that with me all the time. Because I think what comes with it of being an example is also a responsibility. It's a responsibility to pay it forward. It's a responsibility to open other doors for other, you know, for other people, for other women, for other uh, others who are in racialized communities like myself or, you know, or who are immigrants. Um, it's also to do a good job. It's to represent your constituents well. It's uh, to do this job that I've been, um, uh, that I've, been appointed to by the prime minister as the trade minister and the economic development minister for Canada and to do it the very best that I can. That's the sense of responsibility I carry. And I think that as women, um, uh, you carry, I mean, I carry that responsibility, but then you have other responsibilities for many, many years. I uh, was a caregiver for my elderly parents and you have that responsibility. Sure. I know that many of my colleagues and friends are also moms. Um, so you multitask and you're wearing these many hats. Um, and, and at the same time, you want to do the job that you are given to do and you want to do it exceedingly well because my country counts on me to do my job. Well, the businesses that I represent count on me to do this job very well. Um, the entrepreneurs, the investors, they all count on me to do my job really, really well. So I don't, I don't know if that really sort of answers the question, um, but it's a bit of a story of uh, of my own experience. Um, uh, and uh, but it it's uh, it's an honor to get to do this. And as I said earlier in the last question, um, 
as a minister that has a responsibility for the economic file, one of the economic files for my country, I certainly uh, count, rely on the prime minister, on the commitment of my government to also implement smart policies that are economic social policies that lifts people out of poverty, that um, creates better conditions uh, and you know uh, for, 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 for women and for families uh, in Canada. Um, and that is at the very heart of why inclusive growth is so important. It's to create those conditions. And maybe one point on that as, you know, and I'll bring it to kind of the job, which is, you know, I'm the trade minister. So therefore, um, NAFTA, as we, you know, we, we, we knew it to be, but today, depending on which country, it's the USCMCA, Kuzma or TMAC. Um, we, when we renegotiated that, we put in really strong provisions, right? Like for inclusive trade. So there's an SME chapter in there. And when I do the, uh, the annual meetings with the, you know, with my other two amigas, right? I mean, in the U.S. and in Mexico, um, in, you know, in, of course, uh, Ambassador Tai and Secretary Bonrostro in Mexico, um, we actually do get a report on the work that the SME committee has been doing and what they have been doing together to create, you know, to share tools, to create greater uh, opportunities for women entrepreneurs for small and medium-sized businesses to trade and to work and to be more competitive in our economies because for the small ones, it actually is harder to do and therefore it's incumbent on us as governments to have the apparatus and the structure. And I'm so thrilled that as you know, Canada and the United States, we're committed to doing this. We're committed to doing this through this agreement and we've architectured it into the agreement. Uh, and I think that's really important. I'm so glad you raised small businesses. It's another thing that is very near and dear to my heart as well. And, you know, I, I know you've talked about it now sort of through the USMCA Kuzma lens, but would also love for you to talk a little bit about what Canada is doing to help grow small businesses and, you know, incentivize um, innovation within small businesses. A lot. I mean, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, up, until, up until July, I was also Canada's small business. Um, and now um, that wonderful portfolio is being headed up by another really terrific colleague of mine, the very first Filipino Canadian appointed as a minister of the crown in Minister Richie Valdez. Um, and she is doing that job so remarkably, which is to support Canadian domestic small businesses in uh, in their growth. I uh, I used to have this tagline, which uh, you know, which said, uh, "Look, my job is to help Canadian businesses start up, scale up, and access new markets." Right. So the start up and scale up part is very much about nurturing their growth, supporting their growth, uh, their start and their growth in Canada, and then access to new markets. Of course, is the work that I do as the trade minister to help them grow into uh, markets like the United States, which are so important to uh, Canadian small businesses. But maybe I'll spend the time on on a couple of really important policies um, and work that the Canadian government has done and uh, that I had the wonderful sort of opportunity to start and to uh, to lead. Uh, one is the women's entrepreneurship strategy. The second is the black entrepreneurship strategy. Why do you need strategies like that, you ask? Well, we know that for small businesses and particularly for those that have been often underrepresented in our economies, um, they have a challenge finding access to capital, right? Lending support, whether to start, whether to grow, so growth capital. Um, they often also don't have the business network supports or the mentorship supports. And we don't capture data in a way that would help us 
benefit from best practices and then be able to then make good policy decisions, investment decisions based on what we learned from capturing this data. So both of those strategies have three components to it. One, it's an access to capital component. Number two, it is an ecosystem component. And number three, a knowledge hub. So access to capital are things like, you know, um, uh, the government of Canada providing sort of a first dollar in, if you will, that then helps to, um, you know, that then helps to work with banking institutions, venture capital organizations and others to actually help with that uh, that very uh, difficult challenge of small businesses getting access to capital. And in fact, we have data that shows if you're a woman-owned business or you're a Black-owned business, it's even harder for you, right? So, um, so, um, so that's the first part. The second is ecosystems of support. So what is that? So we have regional um, and, you know, sort of these regional ecosystems across the country because it is about the networks. It is about the business network. It is about business training. It's about mentorship. It's about um, sponsorship, right? I mean, so, you know, when you have a success, when you have like, you know, teams of successful business leaders in communities across the country who are willing to provide that mentorship, that leadership, that sponsorship to growing businesses, you're learning then from those who've done it before you. So we've got these great ecosystems uh, across uh, across uh, the country. And then finally, the Knowledge Hub actually measures. And I'll give you a perfect example of where, as a minister, I took the advice of uh, one of the recommendations that came from the Knowledge Hub. They said to me, they said, look, you know, you're doing a pretty good job in terms of, you know, opening up and creating the right conditions for there to be more lending to small businesses. But you know what you're missing? You're missing the loans that go from zero to 50,000. So imagine that. Zero to fifty thousand. So those are small loans, right? And uh, and 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 so what did we do? We then, you know, I mean, we have the first ever finance minister who happens to also be a woman, who is our terrific deputy prime minister in Minister Freeland. Um, and he said, look, like so in, in in budget, I think two budgets ago, we decided to put an investment in that allowed the government of Canada, working with uh, you know some uh, working with partners, really to actually do small, like sort of that small amount lending, right, for women entrepreneurs in particular. Um, so that's where that virtuous circle is. So um, I have countless other examples of how we are helping businesses grow, innovative businesses, right, Biz- like digital businesses that need, you know, that, that where we're, you know, where we're, you know, where we're helping with, uh, with making sure they have the supports to, you know, to get IP support. Like CanExport is a really great program out of Canada that actually helps Canadian businesses who are looking to export, export. The Trade Accelerator Program is a program that we put up in Canada that, that is tell, helping small businesses in particular come up with a export plan. How do you actually, like, you may not be thinking about your business and your business growth in terms of export. How do you even begin? So we have the Trade Accelerator Program that help Canadian businesses and those entrepreneurs look at their business and develop a plan that helps them to de- you know determine where would I grow, what parts of my business would grow, where would I export, and what is and and, and how do I actually you know kind of begin doing that right? So there are countless um, you know there are countless uh, we 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 do a lot of work and I would say that. Canada does a lot of work, but we actually also do this work together. And I think some of this work actually gets done together through the sharing some of these really good practices uh, through the SME committee in particular. Mm-hmm. 
Excellent. Uh, Minister, I, I, I remember a couple of years ago, I took a group of students. We went to visit uh, the wonderful Canadian province of Alberta, and we had a chance to talk to then Premier Jason Kenney and then met with uh, former Premier Rachel Notley. And one of my students, one of the women on the group, asked uh, Rachel Notley, do you feel that you get extra sort of negativity or or aggression on the campaign trail because you're a woman. And her response surprised us all. She said, no, you look at what Jason gets. It, there is a point at which we've crossed the line in civil discourse and politics where, where people just really uh, vent at you and it can be quite scary. Do you So do you find that to be true? Maybe it's an Alberta thing, maybe it's a Canada-wide thing. And, and does it scare people from getting involved in politics in our polarized time? I know we have polarized politics in the U.S. as well, so this is uh, it really just a sense of whether, whether that's something that, that bothers Canadians and is it getting better or worse in your, in your experience? I think it's more important than ever in times of uncertainty where, I mean, um, for more people to get involved. I think that, uh, that um, uh, you're some of your parts and your parts are your team. <laughs> and they're people who are looking to uh, give of themselves by offering their service uh, to, uh, to take on public life. And, uh, and I think that, uh, that the way to combat um, issues, right? I mean, and uh, the negativity is by continuing to do everything we can to encourage good people to continue to participate. Because, um, because if you don't, then what have you got, right? I mean, and so, um, so irrespective of the environment that is around, and I think that people, you know, I, I think it is a worrisome time right now, because um, uh, look at what is, you know, look at geopolitically what is happening in the world. And, um, and, and, you know, we are seeing record inflation take place around the world. Canada is no different. Um, it's cold comfort to people when I, you know, when I can, you know, when I rhyme up a statistic that says, well, you know, we have the lowest inflation among our, you know, our G7 colleagues. That doesn't matter at all to Canadians. Because no. at the end of the day, if it costs you more money to do things like pay for food or put, you know, or uh, fill up the tank, because you have to take your kids to school, um, or that it costs more for you to rent or to, you know, or, or to pay your mortgage, then it hits home, right? And, 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 and with that comes, you know, it, with that comes an expected level of, um, you know, of, of, of concern for people and for their families. So I think that uh, the way I look at it is that we have to all be in it together. Uh, the vibrant uh, nature of countries like Canada and the United States are vibrant democracies. Democracies that are underpinned by a rule of law and people who respect one another because we are a country, you know, we're a country made up of differences. We're a country made up of people who are multilingual, multi-faith, multicultural. Um, but we are proud Canadians and Canadian values matter. And, uh, and we look out after one another. We always seek to look out after one another. So I think, um, you know, I, I, I think of, um, you know, some scary times uh, at the beginning of the pandemic when words do matter, right? I mean, I'm Asian and, uh, and we saw an, an incredible rise in anti-Asian um, sentiments and racism. And I had to stand up, uh, I had to stand up for anybody who looked like me <laughs> uh, to say that is not, it cannot be tolerated. And you know what was the most terrific thing about it? Canadians stood up with me. 
Canadians stood up with me as allies because, because the value that is important to Canada in a democracy and in a country that embraces diversity and, who, and, and, and where we as Canadians believe that the strength of our diversity is what makes us strong as a country, for all those reasons, it is more important. I would say it's even more important to make sure that we continue to do the work um, to attract people, good people, from all walks of, you know, from all walks of society um, to participate in public life. The reason the House of Commons is called the House of Commons is the House of Commons, right? Parliamentarians, we all, all three or three eight of us who have a seat are there because the people in our respective constituencies and ridings have elected us as their voice to represent them in the House of Commons. Um, so having more women, having more people who are the face of Canada, um, having people believe that, that, that in service of their country um, in politics is noble, irrespective of whatever political party you come from, is something we should continue to work very, very hard at. And to uh, and, and and to fight against uh, you know to fight against and to work together against any negativity because um, because I think that our people expect that of us. I know my constituents expect that of me. So you know. So in fact, when I think about tough days, it's precisely those tough days sometimes that I say to myself, "This is the reason I'm in it." Mm -hmm. Of course, this is the reason I'm in it. Absolutely. Now, uh, Minister Eng, thank you. Uh, we're going to take a short break. Uh, have to take care of the sponsors. And when we come back, uh, I want to give Beth a chance to get in uh, another one of her questions. What did Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King and President Woodrow Wilson have in common? Yes, they both led their countries during wartime, but they were also the only leaders of their countries to hold a PhD. At the Wilson Center's Canada Institute, we follow these academic civil servants to bring the public the best nonpartisan research and analysis. We're the only think tank in DC focused on this vital relationship. So in addition to the great repartee you get to hear on Canusa Street, head over to wilsoncenter.org to check out the Canada Institute's work and events. Welcome back to Canusa Street, where I'm joined today by my co-host Chris Sands and our wonderful guest, Minister Mary Ng. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, I just, you know, you had talked about some of your travels. And one of the questions I have is you travel a lot. How do you decide where you go and, and sort of when you go on these trips? Well, some of it is decided for me. Um, and I'll give you an example. <laughs> Um, you know, Canada is a part of many multilateral tables, right? So uh, the G7, we're a member of the G7 with the United States, we're a member of the G20, we're a member of, um, uh, of APEC, we're a member of, um, you know, of, uh, of a whole number of, uh, of multilateral meetings, the WTO, um, and, uh, and, and Canada has some really important trade agreements with important partners like Canada, U.S. and Mexico. So in July, on the anniversary of uh, of the agreement, we meet the three of us together, and we, you know, we switch kind of, you know, from 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 Canada, U.S. and Mexico, and so forth. But I also do that with the European Union. I also do that with the CPTPP partners. So already there, I've sort of listed, I don't know, probably half a dozen of Canada's participation in multilateral bodies that are really important to uh to canada's relationship with our trading partners 
but with, you know, to our allies and our partners around the world, um, and certainly on trade. So those dates sort of are decided for me, right? I mean, um, you know, yes, we do have a say, I mean, you know, um, but but by and large, like I will be leaving in a couple of weeks and I will be in um, Japan because Japan is hosting the G7 this year. So I will be seeing Ambassador Tai in Japan. Um, but uh, but those, so, so those are the dates for the multilaterals. And then, and, uh, and then we have a very ambitious agenda around how I take Canadian companies on Team Canada trade missions to parts of the world um, to help open up market access for them, to help facilitate um, uh, opportunities for both investment and for trade. So we've already announced, um, you know, to, alongside the G7, I will be going to uh, Japan with a Team Canada trade mission. Um, I will be uh, next year. It's actually quite a busy year for the Team Canada trade missions, particularly around Canada's Indo-Pacific strategy. So I'll be in the Philippines, I'll be in Vietnam, I'll be in Malaysia, I'll be in South Korea, I'll be in Indonesia. And that is, that's the, that's the Indo-Pacific trade, uh, Team Canada trade mission program for 2024, which we just announced. So that gets plugged into the calendar. And then, you know, and then important for us, like, you know, the OECD, for example, or, 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 or for us that are, you know, that our colleagues host where we think it's really important for Canada to be there. I mean, Canada is also a signatory to, um, to initiatives like uh, the acronym is GTAGA, but it is uh, the Global Trade and uh, Gender Arrangement, or IPECTA, which is the Indigenous Peoples Economic Trade Cooperation, um, agree, you know, cooperation um, among a number of countries. So, um, so a lot of, you know, sort of a lot of the work is part of the work and therefore part of the schedule that you fit in, um, that you fit in month to month, week to week, um, throughout the year. Uh, so it, um, and, and it's very fitting for Canada because we're a trading country. One of the six jobs in Canada is related to trade. Two thirds of our economy is related to, jo- to, to trade. Um, the businesses that, uh, that trade are the vast employers for employees and workers in in Canada, so um, so it's really important that the trade minister does this work um, with our partners and uh, and in support of the the Canadian companies and exporters who are looking uh, for uh, for for me to do my work um, so that they can you know continue to uh, grow or diversify or break into some of these markets. Absolutely, and knowing the special trade relationship between U.S. and Canada. How often are you in D.C. or in, in in the United States? Quite often, um, and uh, um, and probably more often if I could fit it into the schedule. <laughs> I have, because Canada and U.S. actually spend um, uh, because we actually are at, at many of the multilateral for us together. There's no shortage of ability for me to actually engage with my counterpart, which is really terrific. So, uh, so. The U.S.-Canada um, relationship and dialogue and the opportunity to work together is actually quite robust because we belong to uh, to um, you know to a number of similar organizations that find ourselves to you know to have the opportunity to be together. Um, and then I get down to D.C. and then you know I've had the opportunity to welcome um, Ambassador Tai here, but it isn't just in my portfolio. It's the portfolios across the government as well. Um, it's important for me to also engage with um, members of Congress in the U.S. Um, as a legislator myself, 
um, it's really important to uh, to uh, to always sort of do that work. But um, uh, um, and 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 today, I suppose post COVID, um, some of it is made a little easier as well because we have a new tool, right? We have a new tool which is a virtual tool. So sometimes, even if you're not able to physically get there, you can actually get on a Zoom or on a video call pretty easily. So, um, um, and we've got a great team in, you know, Ambassador Hillman is uh, is there as uh, Canada's ambassador to the United States. And she has a great team um, uh, supporting the work um, of, uh, of Canada in the United States and a great network of, you know, of Canadian offices across America. Absolutely. So switching gears just a little bit, as I'm new to the podcast game here, I was wondering if, besides obviously Canusa Street, if there are any other podcasts that you listen to or that you enjoy that sort of help shape the way you think about either current events or trade specifically, um, or if there's anything you would recommend for our listeners or me to take a listen to? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, um, out of fear of, you know, favoring one over the other, I mean, you know, Canusa, of course, is what people should be listening to. Let's just... Well, exactly, off. right? Of course. Um, <laughs> but, um, I mean, I uh, I sort of, you know, I, I listen to sort of a smattering of almost everything, right? I mean, and, uh, and, and so there isn't one or another. I mean, that really is the case. I mean, um, and, uh, and these days, it really is um, is sort of multi-channel as well because um, you know there are still some really I still believe in the written word and uh, and some really great writings that are done by um, by you know by great think tanks like the Wilson Center or by great authors who actually are you know thought leaders who are writing a perspective about um, you know about um, you know about trade or about uh, you know about um, politics or, uh, you know, the economy. So I really try to, uh, you know, I really try to, uh, to do sort of a smattering of, and because I spend enough time on planes, it's a great opportunity there as well to, you know, to, um, to do sort of, to do them in, in almost, uh, you know, uh, you know, I do them in, 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 in clusters, I suppose. So binging basically. Binging. Yes. That's it. I was looking for that word. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Chris, I don't mean to dominate. If you have any other questions, please feel free. Uh, I, I think the podcast is in good hands when uh, when you're uh, you, Scotty, the minister, are talking. Not so much me. I uh, but I, and I appreciate the tips because I'm always trying to read a little bit more myself. And so uh, thank thank you for the suggestions, uh, Minister. As we look forward uh, to what's going to be a you know, fascinating year in American politics, Mexican politics, uh, you know, so two big elections for sure. Um, and a Canadian election, at least by statutory requirement, will be in 2025. Um, you know, where, where do you think we find ourselves in North America? Are we going to get to 2026 and, and be renegotiating the USMCA? I know a lot of these things are uncertain, but do you feel in the first three years that we've had with this agreement, which I still think you have a huge role in because of your role in making sure that it's implemented fairly and properly. And there are still some questions, uh, U.S. interpretation of automotive uh, content and, and other things notwithstanding. But do you think that we're in good shape? And what would you like to see as sort of a, a sign that we're going to stick with this course that we're on? Yeah, well, I think overall we're in good shape because um, as rules-based countries and having an agreement and a 
this is an excellent agreement, right? I mean, um, many chapters have been updated. Those that really, um, uh, those that really sort of exemplify the values that are important to Canadians, Americans, um, are really sort of in here, right? Like, I mean, think about, um, you know, think about no forced labor in our supply chains. Think about uh, the labor provisions that are very strong. Think about the uh, the enforceability around the environment, right? Environmental, you know, protections, right? Uh, think about, uh, you know, we talked about that a little earlier, um, you know, a chapter that's dedicated to facilitating the growth for those that are small and medium sized businesses in our economies. Right. So I think all of that is really, really good. And uh, and, um, you know, we just saw a decision uh, of a panel report come out very just uh, just a few days ago um, with respect to softwood lumber. Um, which meant that it was a dispute panel that was put forward, um, that was put forward uh, through, you know, through the NAFTA panel. In fact, it was one of the, you know, it was a NAFTA panel. But we preserved that, which was Chapter 19 in Chapter 10. That was so important for Canada because when you trade and in a relationship as large as ours, and here's a fun fact because I always look at this, 90% of Canadians live within 150 miles of the U.S. border, right? Like, so it's a close relationship. And $140 million of trade crosses our border an hour, each hour. $140 million because we trade over a trillion dollars between our two countries, right? We're so integrated. If you take a look at a car, it has to cross like six times before it's even assembled, right? So like, so this relationship is one that is, uh, that, that's longstanding. And with a relationship, like I said, as 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 large as it is in in volume and as integrated as it is, you need tools. You need tools and mechanisms like a dispute settlement uh, mechanism. So that's in this agreement, right? I mean, in the in the renegotiation and this review, um, you know, and 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 the the, uh, the obligation to have a review in twenty twenty six is what we all agreed to do. But I always remind people that uh, that you're not renegotiating NAFTA twenty twenty six, right? It's 2036. 2036 is when the agreement remains in effect. So 2026 is the first time that we will review it together as trading partners. And I think reviews are always good. Why? Because it's a mechanism for you to look at what you could do better, right? I mean, um, or to do a check-in. So I think it's healthy. And look, we all agreed to it. So um, so we're going to work towards how uh, to do this. But we get to do this review sort of each year. And, uh, and, and and the agreement really is about if it's working, then we as, as, as trading partners can decide to extend beyond 2036. So I, I, you know, I, when I meet with businesses all the time, uh, probably the single most um, important thing that they raise with me is for governments to provide them with predictability and stability. Predictability and stability is about the rules. They know what the rules are. They understand the timings and the rules, and they expect governments to uh, work within that. And as a rules-based rules based country, that's essentially what we do, right? We have an agreement that guides us. We have mechanisms in the agreement to allow us to resolve issues. And we keep working together. You know, we meet every year because it's we work together. We have those committees in the, you know, in the many committees that make up this uh, agreement, report into the three trade uh, leaders of each of our countries, uh, the three of us. So, uh, so I think that uh, that having a trade agreement that has served us what it has served us well, it has helped mm-hmm. our economies grow, and uh, and it has helped us uh, lift people 
right? I mean, lift the standard of living for people. And, uh, and, and um, if you look at what the United States is doing around its commitment to fight climate change through the, whether it's the, you know, whether it's the IRA or the CHIPS Act, I mean, and we are doing that in Canada as well. This is about us very deliberately working in a way that is going to build the economy of the future that necessarily has to be green. So, um, um, and, uh, and, and I fully believe that our agreement is an enabler to help us do that. Yeah, I've, I've heard from some of um, our European allies the frustration about U.S. industrial policy, that things just sort of keep coming at them and all the money that the U.S. throws out. But I always point to Canada because you guys don't wait. Uh, when you start hearing Congress talking about things, the Canadians are here expressing their you know concerns, making sure that people know. And as a result, you know, everything doesn't work out perfectly. But you're proactive and you've headed off a lot of bad ideas before they came down on your head because of that engaged diplomacy. And also, I have to say, Minister, the positivity you bring to it. You know, it's not a it's not a negative slog. It's a how do we work together and that attitude, which you exemplify. But I think a lot of our Canadian uh, interlocutors do in this relationship uh, is just a is a real, uh, I don't know, boon. It's a it's a real positive thing that seems recursive somehow. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was reflecting, actually, uh, as I was getting ready to sort of, you know, to do this podcast. And I and, and, and I was sort of, you know, I was thinking, you know, I was thinking back to uh, remember the Build Back Better Act, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, just to your point there, um, it was really concerning for Canada. I mean, we and the United States make cars together. We've been making cars for over 100 years. We've been doing it very deliberately through the auto pact and then through subsequent trade agreements like NAFTA and Quizma and USMCA. And when we saw that there could have been discriminatory elements of it that actually cut out Canada, we absolutely had to work with our American friends and our, our, our trading partner. We had to do that. Um, free and fair trade does work, but, um, and today, we are going to be building electric vehicles together. And the more electric vehicles that we have, batteries that get, uh, you know, that get built, we have all the critical minerals that are necessary that go into, that go into these minerals, uh, or sort of that go into these batteries. Um, Canada and the United States are working together on that to make sure that the supply chain for critical minerals is one that the United States can depend, they can depend on Canada. You can depend on us for having a green supply chain for those critical minerals that are absolutely required to go into batteries and those batteries are absolutely going to go into the electric vehicles that we're going to be making together that's where we are today but it took us work to make sure that we can find the common ground that said look um this is good for we we understand what the americans are 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 aiming to do for you know for uh you know for fight for fighting climate change and for making sure that their workers uh that there was fairness for their workers but we could do it together with canada and and that's always our message, right? I mean, um, that, and, and we do have to work at it together. This is a relationship, and I believe it's an enduring one because it is one where we can talk through issues even when they are tough. In fact, when it is tough, it requires us to do that together uh, more and more. And, you know, and we also count on that 90% of Canadians who live, you know, within 150 miles of the U.S. border because, you know, they know their U.S. call, you know, their, their U.S. neighbors pretty well, too. <laughs> and vice versa, I might say. 
and vice versa. Something coming back after COVID, now we can cross the border and rekindle those partnerships. Uh, but Beth, you, this is your your uh, rookie episode. Uh, I should let you have the last question, last word. Uh, well, I feel like we've covered so much great and important ground. Maybe I'll um, end things on a very light note. What's mm. your favorite part of your role? Oh my gosh, I have so many. Um, <laughs> so many. But I would say what energizes me the most um uh and it's you know it's the people it really is so whether it is in my constituency where i see the work of the government translate into something that actually really helps people right whether it's canada child benefit that's helping families whether it's you know early learning and child care dental care for families who would normally not be able to afford to take their kids to the dentist right so that's really wonderful and then on the ministerial portfolio like meeting a business that says to me that the tools that they were able to take advantage of from their government actually help their business expand or look at an opportunity that they may not have looked at. That's hugely rewarding. I mean, it's, I mean, like the reason, the reason I believe that all of us do this is that you hope that your work will actually make a real difference in the lives of people and to have a portfolio like mine in trade. And, um, you know, it's easy to sort of think about these big agreements and everything uh, or some of the work that you do, you know, at, at these multilateral tables. But really, at the heart of it, it is has to has to work for people. It has to work for the people you serve. So to me, that's the most rewarding thing, right? And and and, and getting validation for that from, from you know, from a business owner um that's what's the most rewarding well, well that has been the most rewarding part of my day is interacting with these two wonderful people <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time and having this conversation and welcoming me with such open arms i feel so fortunate to have had the chance to chat with you so thank you so much and you're welcome back on kenusa street anytime well thank you so much and it's great to be at kenusa street and beth i know it's going to be terrific uh, for you and I'm looking forward to uh, to our working together and Chris I look forward to seeing you next very soon either there in DC or up here in Canada one or the other yep I'm, I'm on my way <laughs> thank you very much Minister Mary Yang thanks this podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Center if you like this episode help others find our show and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify 